Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Casey Long and joining me today is James Frendo and Matthew Salinas, both from Coalesces Publishing. Um, we're going to be doing some new stuff with our podcast. Um, as you all have noticed, we have changed the name of our podcast to the Coffee and Quill podcast. Um, reason for that is we're just wanting to take things into a... Um, we just want to rebrand a podcast. We think it will be better with just getting the podcast out there and it's kind of separating itself from Coalescence Publishing. That way we can bring in like other authors and stuff like that. And I don't know. I think it just creates a more organic experience all the way around. But um, I want to pass it over to James. Let him introduce himself. Hello. My name is James. I'm one of the authors here at Coalescence Publishing, and uh, that's that's pretty much all there is to say. Cool. All right. What about you, Matthew? Uh, hello. I'm Matthew Salinas. Uh, thanks for tuning in with us. Uh, same. I am also an author at Coalescence Publishing. Um, I just recently put out a new work through them called A Shallow Shadow. It's a collection of short horror stories. So if that sounds like something that might be up your alley, I would definitely recommend checking it out. I will say A Shallow Shadow is probably, in my opinion, is a very interesting work. Um, I think my favorite story is the one <laughs> about the publishing studio. <laughs> So, yeah, um, we got a pretty, pretty interesting topic to talk about today. I figured with the rebranding of the podcast and us kind of kicking things back into gear with it, why not talk about something a little, I don't know, steamy. So I wanted to start it off by telling a story. So. I work in the medical industry, uh, more on the business side, though, you know, with like insurance, billing, accounts receivable, medical code and all that shiznits. Right. And I had a person who I will not name contact me the other day to go over a few things. And. They were a VP of a very, very large publishing studio slash company. And so naturally, I recognized the name and I'm like, hey, you know, I just wanted to say it's cool that you work for them. You know, we kind of started a conversation. Things went good for a little bit. But then... When I made mention that I run a small indie publishing studio, the tone shifted significantly. And this individual wanted to know the name of it. And there was something about the situation that just kind of seemed off because this was the conversation that was being had at work. So they had some issues that needed to escalate and what have you. They were upset and they thought I was the cause of it. Right? right. So this VP said that 
they have put other publishing studios down, whatever that means. And it just got me thinking, you know, nobody wants to talk about exploitation of indie authors and indie publishers by the larger publishing studios. But I think as a conversation, everyone needs to have, especially if you're an author, because I, you know, it's one of those things where I know we're small and there's a there's thousands of other studios out there just like us. You know, we have a few authors, we do what we do, and that's that. You know what I mean? And we have fun doing it. And I think running Coalescence is probably one of the better things that I've been um, able to do so far in my life because I enjoy the work, I enjoy the people I work with. But to be... I don't want to say threatened but to be intimidated did not quite sit well with me and it makes me wonder how many other studios or authors have been intimidated and so we have these bigger studios and companies like that who I'm just going to say they exploit most of their authors. And I'm not saying all of them do that. I'm not saying that at all. Um, Not all big publishing studios or companies engage in exploited practices. But there are many, many instances that I hear of from my fellow author colleagues and stuff I've seen on our Twitter page and people I've spoken with at cons who have faced unfair treatment. So... That's what we're going to talk about today, guys. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a kind of like you were saying. I feel like it's a worthwhile topic that really doesn't get a lot of the discussion that should accompany it, you know, one way or another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is as authors, we want to be published, like. When I first got into this, even well before Coalescence Publishing, my dream was to be published by a big publisher, whether that's um, Bloomsbury Publishers who do the Harry Potter series, whether it's the people who did George R.R. Martin's stuff, you know, my dream was always to be published by one of the big five, you know, and again not naming names on any specific studio here but I quickly realized that some of those companies are exploitive and one of the bigger things that they that I want to touch on is unfair contract terms you know whether it's unfavorable royalty rates, which is a big one, perpetual rights, overly broad non-compete clauses, which is a huge one I want us to get into here in a bit. But I don't know. Like, Matthew, let me ask you. When you were coming to Coalescence, if I told you we're going to keep 
80% of your royalties and only give you 20, would you have still come on with us or would you have went to another studio? Honestly, I probably would have been looking elsewhere. You know, it's just, it's at the end of the day, I mean, I, I do understand, you know, as a lot of authors do, there's a lot more that goes into everything beyond the realm of just, you know, Mm-hmm. writing something and getting it out there for people to read. But, you know, it as the person who's kind of putting in the majority of the work and the labor towards it, you know, it, it does feel a little disheartening to kind of see what's considered in the quote unquote traditional realm of publishing what, what's considered fair as far as compensation for your work goes. Oh, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I mean, I think there needs to be a balance between the publishing studio and the author. Like, like we do, we cover the cost of your cover art. We cover the cost of your editing. And for a lot of authors, that is a very costly endeavor to take upon themselves. And for that, it's okay to charge or not charge, but to take a percentage of royalties for that. But when you have larger companies, who want to offer 85% for themselves. And they're basically telling the author, like, we're a big name. You'd be stupid not to come with us. Of course, you're going to have people who just want to be able to say, like, I got published by XYZ. You know, I got, I, I have that. I don't know what's the word I'm, I'm losing. I I have that, that goal I've completed for myself. Right. But they're selling their souls. I feel like, and they don't know it. Um, you know, yeah, I was, I was actually just going to say, you know, yeah, I, I feel like that's, that's kind of a big aspect of it is, you know, you're writing, you're writing, and obviously your end goal of your aspiration is to get something out there that people are going to read and enjoy. And, you know, there's there's going the route of self-publishing, which a lot of people ultimately end up choosing to do. But at the same time, you know, depending on the avenue you take, it's still, still kind of not the, the best as far as some, you know, things kind of pan out. Mm-hmm. And then there's... You know, one of the things that really personally irks me that I really do not like is all the, there's a bunch of publishers out there that kind of try to come across as either like hybrid or boutique or whatever terminology or phraseology they try to use, where essentially it's just like, hey, listen, pay us a bunch of money and we'll put your work out there for you. Like we're not going to do any quality control or anything like that, but vanity publishers. Yep. Yep. You know, we had a conversation about vanity publishers. It was one of our first episodes we ever did back on the Coalescence Publishing Podcast. And my whole thing with vanity publishers is I personally think that they should be illegal because all they do, and there might be some out there that don't do this. I'm not going to say all, but most of them, from what I've seen, they take your money, they go to Amazon KDP, they publish your stuff there, 
and that's all they do. They don't even give you your own personal ISBN that ensures that it's, you know, that your rights are protected. No, they go straight through Amazon and that's it. That's, that's what they do. Yeah. And you pay them this exorbitant amount of money, like two or three thousand dollars. And, and I, you know, I sit there and I'm like, man, that's, that's insane to me, but you have authors who have been rejected so many times, man, so many times by the big publishers, right? Yeah. Who, Who inevitably end up thinking my stuff is shit, you know? My story, what I'm trying to publish is shit. And then they come across what they think is the silver lining. But instead, it's a trap. And a lot of times with vanity publishers, you sign your rights away with them without you even realizing it. And I, vanity publishers has a special place in my heart that gets most of my hate when I talk about this stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a guy who reached out to us on Twitter. I'll tell you the story real quick. He reached out to us on Twitter and he said, Hey, I really, really like what you guys are doing. I have a manuscript here. It's already published by XYZ, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And I'm like, yeah, sure, man. Send it to me. Yeah. Well, he sends me his stuff and it's not, it's not formatted. Had to censor myself there. <laughs> it's not <laughs> formatted there. The cover art, no, no disrespect to that guy, but the cover art was not, it, it wasn't good, you know? And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm sure the guy put his heart into it. It's just, Cover arts are something you need to spend time learning how to do, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I mean, I'll I'll say it for for myself, the cover arts we have now at Coalescence is a lot better than what we had when we first started, and that's <laughs> part of that wonderful journey we take, man, of self development and all that. But this guy wanted my honest opinion. And I, the first question I asked him, I said, you got this published? And he said, yeah. There were grammar mistakes riddled all through it. The story itself was wonderful. Like, he did a great job with the story craft. And I told him, I'm like, man, you are an excellent storyteller. But this could have utilized the work of a professional editor. It could have utilized the work of a professional artist to get the book cover done. Um, they should have formatted it for you. And this guy gets so mad at me for telling him this. He sends me a paragraph about how we're a toxic studio for shitting on his work. And a few other things and that he'll stay with his publisher because that's what he wants to do. And let me back up for a minute. How much do you think it costed him to publish this book through this publisher? Oh, I have no idea. I'm sure, I'm sure it's some stupid amount. 
the low price of fifteen hundred dollars, Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, I I hear that, and I was honestly before he blocked us, I was going to be like, man, listen, make sure you have your rights, and if you have your rights, come over here. Like, I'll get you a cover cover art for free. I'll edit, format it for free. Because, first of all, we don't charge anything here at the studio. I've, again, going back to my hate of vanity publishers. But I wasn't even going to have the guy sign on with us. I just wanted to genuinely help this guy. Because if I spent $1,500 and they didn't do a damn thing with my book... Ooh. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm absolutely. But that's becoming such a norm now. Dude, when we were at um Fanboy Expo in Indianapolis last year. Yeah. Um you know how I'd get up and walk around and talk with some of the authors and stuff? Yeah, yeah. There's a guy who I met, won't say his name or anything, but he had a book there and I could tell right from the beginning, you know, like it, it was published by a vanity author cause they have no quality. Most of them don't have any quality control with what they're publishing. Right. They're just taking the money and running. Yeah. And so I talked to this guy, same thing, you know, I'm like, how much did you pay? Blah, blah, blah. And we were able to help him get set up with an artist and he was very receptive to it, but you know, it just blows my mind that they're so they're so rampant, and there's people that have been rejected so much that they go through them. So, I don't know. It's well, just I, one I, of those I, feel, I feel a big part of it is kind of like you said too. You know. When you go into the any type of creative art and whatnot, one of the first things I feel like everybody kind of tells you is, you know, you got to have a little bit thicker skin. You got to be ready for constructive criticism and all that. But at the end of the day, like you're you're the only one who, you know, when you're going up to bat for your own work, trying to get it published, you know, it's your labor of love. It's your dream. It's, you know, everything you've kind of poured into doing this entire grand project of what started with just an idea. And I feel like it's, it's just very human that, you know, at a certain point, there's so many, there's only so many hits and blows you can take before you, you know, not only start to kind of have that moment of an existential crisis of questioning the choices you've made, but also, you know, your willingness to just be like, anybody going to take a chance on this? Is anybody going to help me? Right. Exactly, man. And, Dude, I, I'll i be the first one to tell you, before we even started, so one of the reasons we started Coalescence, though not the biggest reason, was facing the amount of rejection from big publishers, and that's just part of it. If you're going to be an author, you're going to have to be ready to take constructive criticism. You're going to have to be ready to, you know, be rejected. That is part of it. We've had to reject people. But when you have three, four hundred plus rejections, you know, 
you are going to start self-doubting. You're going to be like, man, what the hell am I doing? No one wants to publish me. Yeah. No one wants to give me a chance. I don't want to self-publish because I don't have the time for that. Right. And, you know, then here comes the opportunity for companies who really want to exploit authors to take advantage of them in their weakest point. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a... It's a very strong application of the term predatory for, for, you know, better and or worse. Yeah, I mean, I'm calling it like I see it. You know, when you when you have the audacity to reach out to an author with the sole intention of exploiting them and then shitting on them. Yeah. I'm just gonna say it. Fuck that, man. That that is the that's worse than vanity publishers at that point. Um, guy I knew, he was signed on by not one of the big five, but a very prominent publishing company that focused in fantasy stuff, right? Yeah, and. They had a few big names, not George R.R. R. Martin or Brandon Sanderson, but they had a few big ones under them. And this guy was like, holy shit, I made it. You know, I'm I'm part of the big, well, not the big, I'm part of a large publishing studio now. Yeah. And, you know, when you get signed on by a legitimate publishing studio that's large like that, you have a huge like reader base to tap into but they stripped him of his rights they gave him like 15 percent royalties and they never distributed his book at all jeez and he had a non-compete clause oh. so he, couldn't, he couldn't even he couldn't do anything with it yeah that's that's a nightmare and a half this man dude just- they they took his stuff and they're like, okay, we're literally not going to touch this. Uh, nothing like seeing a man throw his precious work down the drain without being able to pick it out of the gutter. Yeah. That's a little eloquent, but yeah. Yeah. And don't even get me started on creative control right um matthew when we published your book yeah i i would like to say and if i'm wrong please man let me know so we can change it but i'd like to think we gave you a lot of like creative control on how we did your cover design how we edited your book how we you know formatted it you know we gave you a lot of like hey here's some ideas tell us what you're thinking and we'll make it work yeah no absolutely that was honestly one of the it was a great experience especially for the first time when i was doing it with uh what sleeps in wool and lark i mean right off the bat just having like the different portfolios of all the different artists to rummage through to look at you know like not only stylistically what kind of tone do I want to do for the cover art, but also having people do like mock-ups of covers and, you know, 
mm-hmm. being able to to dwindle it down from there, which was a hard process, but it, I, I ultimately loved what we ended up doing. And then also too, yeah, I mean, even when it came down to editing, there were obviously, you know, the grammatical things that needed to be changed, but everything else was kind of, you know, as far as content went was, you know, you could either do it this way or do it that way or keep it the way you want to do it or, you know, kind of an amalgamation of all the different ideas that everybody had coming together. And I think all of it really just as a process kind of made the the book a much stronger book and it made the narrative a much stronger, more cohesive story. Oh yeah. And I'm not going to, sit here and say we're a perfect studio there's you know we're an indie publisher we don't have millions of dollars to drop right on triple a book titles but we do i like to say we do a really good job with it and this isn't a tooting our own horn podcast episode segment here but for what it's worth i think there's a lot of indie publishers out there like us who really put their heart and soul into helping the authors that they bring on board. And that that's a stark contrast with, you know, the big five who's just like, eh, you know, s- screw you. We don't even want to look at you, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, it's also too, you know, it's, there's just so many people out there. And so many people trying to vie for the same things. And I feel like a big part of it is with at least the big publishing companies. It's like, all right, what is the it genre or demographic right now? Who is writing similar to something that is already successful and doesn't necessarily need to break the mold or be too creative? Like, what can we get out there that kind of we know for certain is going to get us that money back? Yep. What is a passable clone of this thing that people like and spend money on? Precisely, yeah. <laughs> um, let me ask you guys a question here. You know, simply a hypothetical, of course. But let's say, I don't know, James, you're coming to me. Let's say I'm the guy who published... Um, the Lord of the Bracelets, a song of fire and wind, you know, what have you. I'm a big time fantasy publisher. Like I'm top of the line, you know, like, like you, you kiss my boots when you want me to publish you. Right. And you come to me with this thing that you spent 10 years of your life perfecting right like you have an entire compendium you have 10 epic novels totaling 2 million words all together you know this incredible feat that most people and even authors probably wouldn't do right and I look at it and I say I'll offer you 10% royalties on it and we won't publish it till three years from now. What are you going to say to that? Um, 
I'm not sure any words would be discernible through the sobbing, but... Oh. Because, like, what what do you say in response to that, where you're just like... Well, <laughs> there's a few things I could say, but... <laughs> Which are not appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> um, we've, we've already used our one F word for the episode, so... Um, but let's say you're like, no thanks, I think I'll go elsewhere. Uh-uh-uh. Guess what happens, James? What? I'm the owner of this large, large publishing studio. And you didn't want to take my offer? Okay. So I'm going to go talk to abc over here i'm gonna go talk to xyz and you know what why the hell not i'm gonna go talk to paul over there too who runs his own publishing studio because we're all part of the big four and i'm gonna make it a certainty you're not going to publish a damn thing with any reputable publisher because you denied our offer then what do you do? Um, quit. Go back. Uh, quit. Go back to working at the Dairy Queen. Um, just give up. Become a shell of a person. You know, the standard. What would you do, Matthew? Oh, jeez, I don't even know. That honestly, that would kind of just piss me off more than anything. I mean. It, it never ceases to amaze me how vindictive and petty some people can get. And I mean, really, it's even more disheartening when you take into consideration the fact that art and writing and everything, you know, it's so subjective. Mm-hmm. So who's to say, you know, like, one, I, I again, I do understand the business aspect of it, but... You know, I'm sure there's somebody out there that could do whatever story it is justice. And it might not be the biggest, most commercially successful or hot thing at the time. But, you know, I'd like to think that there's some people out there that are still going to gain something from that story. There's some people out there that inherently still need to read that story at some point in their life Mm -hmm. to where it's going to click with certain things. Things are going to resonate with them. And if not, only for the aspect of entertaining them and taking their mind away from the world for a while, but also granting them that boon of being able to sit down and be like, you know, somebody out here is writing thematically similar experiences to things that maybe I thought only I knew or was experiencing or is an alienating concept and, you know, whatever social construct I'm in. And it it provides them just kind of that, that moment to bridge the gap of that loneliness to be like, all right, you know, there are other people out there that think these things or share these ideas or have had these things happen to them. And you know what? That's, that's all right. It's cool. You know, it's, I don't know. To me, I feel like uh, I'm not trying to be on a soapbox or anything here, but to me, I feel like that's, uh, that's one of the best feelings slash ideals, I believe kind of rings true in writing and reading and, you know, I, I think it's shameful that anybody would try to stop that. You know, 
and I'm not bashing any authors here, you know, if you're an author and you hear this, I'm not talking about you in a negative light, but when when I think of writing, I do think of it as an art form. It is a way of expression. It is a form of storycraft. It, it literally is storycrafting, you know, and that is an art in and of itself. And it has such a prominent place in our society. Even thousands of years ago, we shared our history by telling stories. We recorded our history by writing stuff down. And more importantly, we craft these stories that are fiction or what have you to give people a form of escapism. And I feel like today more than ever, we don't have a lot of people writing to enrich the literary culture. We have people writing following cookie cutter prompts, following traditional tropes, because it's tropes that they think will make them the most money. And I'll just say it. If you're a writer and you're writing for money, more power to you. If that's what gets your gears going, hell yeah. You do you. But don't sit there and say that you want to enrich literary culture when you're not actually doing that you know what i mean and i'm not again not trying to target people or anything like that like you know it is what it is but you know this is my thoughts on the matter you know no i i I fully agree with that you know i i feel like there's a big difference between writing and art for the sake of art and what it's worth and then you know, art and creativity for strictly the monetary publication of, you know, like this is something that may not advance anybody's, you know, appreciation of any type of art or cultural significance or anything, but it'll make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Like when we were at the convention, right? There were some people there that had these cookie cutter stories. And again, I'm not shitting on them. You know what? If it works for you, hell yeah. You keep writing sister. But when you're one, one of the, what's prompting this is one of the cookie cutter authors, excuse me. One of the cookie cutter authors said, and I quote what I'm doing is advancing culture. <laughs> no, you're not. You're literally following what Fifty Shades of Grey did. You you have male protagonist, you have female protagonist, or you know, maybe it's male on male, female on female, you know, what what have you. But you have a a couple 
and the same stuff happens. They they have sex, you know, and and it's an erotica. Or you had the classic hero's tale that is this protagonist who goes on this series. He finds some friends, or they find some friends, and they face this big evil threat. And at the end, it's all good. And what did we learn? We learned the value of friendship and what it means to come together. We have thousands, if not millions of stories like that but then you have other works like i'm trying to think of a good one david weber stuff i know david weber isn't well i'd say he's a pretty prominent author in my opinion some people might not like his stuff but i think what david weber has done with a lot of his series Shout out to you, Rex, for turning me on to David Weber stuff. But a lot of David Weber stuff has these tropes that he created himself, primarily sci-fi based, you know, and he broke away from the norm with a lot of his stories that he tells and the way he crafts his stories and the way his books are formatted. You know, it's such a unique thing and when i read a david weber book it blows my mind man it it's so thought-provoking like there's so much like philosophical concepts that he throws in that really makes you sit down and think holy shit what am i and who am i you know and then you have stuff out there like um the lord of the bracelets a classic hero's tale and i'm all for a hero's tale i love fantasy stuff yeah but throw in some razzle dazzle yeah no no i I gotta agree with you there gotta agree with you there not to mention Um, it's extremely mm -hmm. hard to avoid following the hero's tale it's just such a such an ingrained sort of like plot circle in how we view character development that it's kind of hard to not in some way write a version of it writing a version of it is perfectly fine if you make it your own that's one thing but if you take let me give you a better example here i guess so someone writes a book and (laughs) they have um this primary protagonist who finds a group of friends who supports them on their mission to destroy an ancient evil. Can anyone tell me what book that is? (laughs) All of them? Not necessarily. Like I, the, the ones I really enjoy, like, yeah, you'll have books like that, but they also throw in political intrigue. They throw in some tragedy. They throw in some, Coming of age stuff, romance stuff. Yeah, they throw in their own unique prose with it, you know. They really world build a lot. If you write a story, and it's a cookie cutter story, but you've done a lot of world building with it, that's totally cool. You know, like at that point, you're making that your own, in my opinion. But if you don't go through the effort of world building, and you literally just write the characters, and there's no depth to them at all, yeah. That ain't my cup of coffee, you know? Yeah. 
Um, we're probably going to get a lot of hate for this episode <laughs> after that conversation, but... My hero, his name is Blorbus the Barbarian, and he has a magic sword, and he can beat your dad in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's the best, Jesus. and he's half-demon, and he is my OC, very special, do not steal. <sighs> oh, man. Well, I think that's enough um, enough hate we've thrown on some of the big publishers. Um, I will say one thing, though. We did have a comment from our very own E-Marie. Shout out to you, E-Marie. Um, she said, I would publish my book anyway myself. Even if I had to just put it on shelves where people will find it, if that was what it took to put it out there. And hell yeah to that. And I'm not saying this just because she's our author or anything, but hell yeah to that because I'd probably do the same damn thing. In fact, <laughs> when I, um, the first thing I ever published, I published under a pen name because I was so afraid that it was going to suck. And Looking back on it, it kind of does. But I was so happy I published it. And I got some physical copies from Amazon. And I took it to this local bookstore and I had to beg the owner. I'm like, you can take it for free. I just want it on the shelf somewhere. And the owner was just like, okay. <laughs> I went down there a few months ago and they were all still there, by the way. <laughs> but oh, that's rough. That's rough. <laughs> well, you know, I was like nineteen at the time. You know, it was like it, it was terrible. I'm not gonna give you all the name of it. I like I'm that that shameful of it, but it was it was the classic hero's tale, you know, and it was like thirty thousand words, and it sucked tremendously. But it is now the the goal of the next thirty days of my life to find this book. You'll never find it. <laughs> you will never find it. You do not know my tenacity. Oh, I do know your tenacity. You will not find it. One does not simply find this book, James. <laughs> It's got its own whole chain of side quests. You got to get the proper armor. It's it, it's a thing. Yeah, it is. And then when you get the armor, it turns out the armor is actually possessed by an eldritch deity. <laughs> and then you must fight the Dark Lord upon the evil mountain. And it turns out the real book was the friends you made along the way. <laughs> and then so you actually turn Lord that into rings. a story. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Lord of the Rings, we always like anytime there's news on Lord of the Rings, I always like bringing it up. Uh, we're kind of getting to the end of our session today, but the horse, one of the horses, died on the Rings of Power set. Hmm. Like I think it was a month ago. That's not good. It's not, but I'm like, man, that is. It sounds like the beginning of a cursed film studio. All I'm all I'm saying is like how did they manage to kill a horse when as far as I can tell the the like the the ride of the Rohirrim went well for the hitch 
I'm speechless at that. Um, so anyways. <laughs> I mean, of course, it's a Hollywood star. It was probably just out partying too hard. It's it's a cover-up. You, you, don't, you don't need to know what really happened. Nay, nay, nay. Um, <laughs> oh, you... Mm. <laughs> um, so I think that's all the time we got for today. Um, I do want to say... Um, like I said at the beginning, we are rebranding the podcast to the Coffee and Quill podcast. Um, we're going to be doing sessions every... We're going to do every other two weeks. Okay, hold up. Every other week. <laughs> Jesus. I can't get my words tonight. Starting today, we will be recording two weeks Every two weeks, we'll be recording Saturdays at 7.30 EST. I'm going to try to get the episodes out on Thursdays at 9 a.m. That way y'all can listen to it over a nice cup of Java. Java, jeez. We're going to need to do a lot of editing with this, guys. Um, <laughs> a nice cup of Jove. <laughs> there you go, James. A cuppa. Oh, man, the birds are going to love this. <laughs> We're going to try to get some guests on here as well. Um, I know for a fact Chris Everhart will be joining us um, over the next few episodes. That's going to be exciting. Wyatt Sutherland will be joining us as well from Coalescence Publishing's podcast. Um, I'm going to reach out on our Twitter page and see if we can get some authors that want to do some interviews or just sit down and chill with us for a bit. And if you guys are in like the Knoxville or East Tennessee area and you want to be on our podcast, let me know. We'll we'll go get some coffee. I'll, you know, we can buy the coffee for you. Just don't get like a caramel deluxe mocha macchiato. And um, hell yeah, let's sit down, have a conversation and go from there. But Matthew, James, y'all have anything else? I had very little to add of substance this episode because the only publisher I've gone through is Coalescence, so I have no experience with the wider, horrible world of publishing. Eh, it's it's not all horrible. It's just a it's a lot out there. Let me tell you. Yeah, and I I want to say a lot of it is good. I believe, but there's a few large bad apples that really sour it for a lot of people and i i truly mean that you know i think we have a rich culture with literature um people just need to prioritize things differently i suppose but anywho Y'all have a good evening, and for those of you listening in, I hope you have a swell rest of your day, and if you're a reader, keep on reading. If you're a writer, keep on writing, and we'll see you next time. Have a good evening. or rest.